Wow, thanks, Jen. Wonderful. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you. Uh, pray your blessing on the Bridge Kids as they head out now. I pray that you would just um, show them something about yourself in this next time that they have together that, that will draw them closer to your heart. And uh, do the same for us as we look into your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Bridge Kids, have a great time. Look forward to hearing what you have learned. Once again, it's, it's time for me to explain the costume. For those of you who may not have been here last month when I was wearing one of these shirts, I'm, uh, I serve with the, the Never Forgotten Honor Flight out of Wausau. And uh, we have pre-flight activities today and a flight to Washington, D.C. tomorrow that I'll be on. We'll be bringing 110 Vietnam vets to Washington, D.C. to experience the memorials built in their honor. So it's a, it's a great privilege to be a part of that. And uh, so I am needed there at 1 o'clock, so I'm going to just fly out of here today as soon as we're done. So uh, pardon me if, if we don't get a chance to chat in the lobby. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to mention as well, that insert about the Ministry Insight tool. This tool was developed particularly for interim pastor ministries, for churches in transition. So your input is, is vital, whether you've been here a week or whether you've been here 15 years. Uh, we want to hear from you. It's for everybody to take. So uh, I hope that you'll take advantage of it. It'll be, it'll be open online for three weeks, and then we'll collect all the data and see what it has to say to us. And I'll be presenting that data uh, as soon as we get it all together. So, well, we all do have something in common. We all do have mothers, and uh, we celebrate mothers everywhere today. Uh, my bride and I, uh, another Tina, so there's two Tinas just right here. Uh, my bride and I have been married for 45 years. We had kids at home for 27 of those years, and uh, now we have been empty nesters for about 17. And uh, those times when we do have a household full of small people, it's only temporary. It's only for a couple of days, and then we give them back to their parents. But it's long enough to remind us that parenting is hard work. I hear that from parents a lot. You know, this is hard. And I just want to encourage the parents out there who might be pulling out their hair these days with a couple of things. One is just a little saying that I hope you'll remember. It's this, the days are long, but the years are short. That, that really is true. Um, the days seem endless, but one day you're going to be where I am now, wondering where the years went. And... Uh, I just want to encourage you, as hard as it is, not to miss out on what each of those days has to bring you um, and all that God has for you and your family during these crazy days. When, when your little one finds the scissors and gives herself a haircut, uh, when one of them uh, colors on the walls with permanent markers, and, and we've experienced all of that and more, uh, I just want to encourage you uh, to tell yourself, oh, this will be a memory one day, um, because it will, and uh, you'll look back on it one day with your adult children, and you will laugh, uh, because it will probably be happening to them right then. Uh, so you might as well just laugh now. 
The other thing I want to encourage you with is something you're just going to have to take by faith, and it's this. You're making more of a difference than you can know. Right now, you are. Uh, you just don't see it yet. I can remember times when Tina and I both felt like we were banging our head against a wall, and nothing we were saying was getting through to our kids, but now we see our kids as parents, and we are hearing them saying some of the same things we said to them. And uh, we are watching them try to impart lessons to their kids that we once tried to impart to them. So you'll know you're making a difference when you see that happen, but you might not see it now. And so uh, hang in there. John Maxwell defined leadership as influence, and I think he's right. Leadership is influence. You are having an influence. You are making a difference whether you see it or not. So just keep doing what God called you to do and uh, know that your influence will eventually make itself known. It will. Uh, you're making a bigger difference than, than you know right now. And that all brings us to a very special mother I'd like for us to consider today. She was a woman of great influence. I'm talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'd like to look at the influence that she had on the three children of hers that we have some written record of. That would be Jesus, James, and Jude, those three. First, just a quick word about how we regard Mary. I think we Protestants have been pretty quick to be critical of people who have elevated Mary to a status that is higher than what the Bible gives her. But I also think that we as Protestants have been guilty of not recognizing the status the Bible does give her. Uh, she is the most special mother of all times. The Bible says all generations will call her blessed. And so um, Mary, she entered motherhood early. One fourth century account puts her at the age of 12 when she was betrothed to Joseph. So young people out there uh, don't think... You can't make a difference. You can. Uh, Mary was probably the mother of six other children besides Jesus. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So that's five boys and at least two girls. The three children of Mary that we're most familiar with are Jesus, James, and Jude. James and Jude would each author a book that's contained in our New Testament. And as we look at the things Jesus said and the things that his brothers wrote, I think we're going to see the influence of a godly mother on all three. So I'd like for us to look at her story and her song in Luke chapter 1 and see some of the qualities of this godly mother, and then think about the influence that she had on her children. More important, I'd like for us to realize that that kind of influence is influence all of us can have on people around us. So Luke chapter 1, if you need a Bible, um, anybody need one? We've got ushers that can bring you one. Just catch the eye of, of one of our ushers. But uh, the Bibles that we provide, you'll find this on page 714. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, 
starting at verse 26. So if, if you need a Bible, here they come. Just snag one. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26 in the Bridge Bibles, page 714. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then dropping down to verse 46, we find Mary's song. It says this, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be faith, uh, merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So I'd like to suggest three things that we can learn from Mary. And the first is this, we learn devotion to God's word. Devotion to God's word. Mary herself was devoted to God's word. Her song here in Luke chapter 1 shows us this lady knew her Bible. Uh, the passage sounds a lot like Hannah's song uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 2, where Hannah spoke at the dedication of her son Samuel to the Lord. Mary seems familiar with that passage. Mary's song here in Luke chapter 1 contains over 40 Old Testament quotes. It echoes God's word back to him. It's a virtual paraphrase of Old Testament passages. And a paraphrase is where you take a passage of Scripture and, and put it into your own words. You have to be familiar with that passage of Scripture if you're going to put it into your own words. So we see this song of Mary's as just steeped in Scripture. And that's really good when you consider that Jewish girls of her time weren't trained in the Scriptures. Uh, so Mary would have 
learned God's word on her own. But where would she have learned it? Well, a couple places. One is she would have heard it in the synagogue. Uh, she wouldn't have been taught it in the synagogue, but she would have heard it there. So she must have clung to every word. There's a second place, though, I think, where she would have heard the word of God, and that is her relative Elizabeth was married to a priest named Zechariah. And we know that she stayed with them some time. And so I can just picture Mary sitting at the feet of Zechariah, uh, asking him to tell her more about God's word. Mary was devoted to God's word. She picked up her knowledge of God's word piecemeal, but she knew it well. And when you look at Mary's children, you see, I believe, her influence in their lives because we find them devoted to God's word as well. Consider her best-known son. Jesus amazed the teachers in the temple when he was just 12 years old. When he was tempted by Satan, who threw scripture at him, misinterpreted, Jesus threw scripture back at the enemy, correctly interpreted. Where did he get his understanding of scripture? Well, he was the son of God. I mean, we generally consider his divinity here, but let's not overlook his humanity here as well. Uh, he put on true humanity in all of its limitations. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He grew in these things. He had to learn God's word. And when we realize he learned, it, uh, learned at his mother's knee how to walk and talk and take care of himself, and when we think of the amount of herself that this great woman of God poured into her children, we can see her attitude of devotion to God's word reflected in him. Consider a lesser-known son of Mary, Jude. He wrote a little one-chapter book that's in our New Testament. But in that little book, he is writing in the context of false teachers who were trying to get their message out, and he tells them, tells his readers that the antidote for false teachers is to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. So the antidote for false teachers is true teaching. How do we do that? We do that through God's word. Our most holy faith, that's the antidote for false teaching. Could it be that an attitude of devotion to God's word ran in the family? Think about another son of Mary, James. James takes us beyond just listening to God's word and he challenges us to be devoted to it ourselves. In James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Be devoted to it. Let it show up in your life. It's no coincidence that James had an attitude of devotion to God's word. Mary was a great woman of God devoted to his word, and we see her influence in the lives of her children. They were devoted to it themselves. So a quick gut check. How are we doing in terms of our own devotion to God's word? The Bible is still the most widely selling book in the world, but it's one of the least read, unfortunately. 
We have all sorts of versions of God's Word to choose from. We have all kinds of helps and tools to explain it to us. But do we treasure it enough to take time to get it into our lives on a daily basis? There is a point in the uh, Episcopal liturgy where the priest lifts up God's Word and kisses it, showing his devotion to God's Word. I, I love that picture, and I want to have that kind of devotion in my own life to God's Word. Do we read it daily? Do we take our children to it for answers? Do we help them memorize it and hide it in their hearts? Devotion to God's Word. We learn that from Mary. We, we also learn from her example, submission to God's will. Because it's one thing to understand God's Word, but it's another to stand under it. Not only did Mary understand it, she stood under it herself. She submitted to the expectations God's Word placed on her life. She wasn't just a hearer of God's Word, she was a doer as well. We talk a lot about the importance of the inerrancy of Scripture, and, and that's vitally important. But I don't hear as much talk about the authority of Scripture. It is inerrant, but it's also authoritative, and we need to take it into our lives and live by it. And, and frankly, uh, if we're not going to stand under the authority of God's Word, then arguing its inerrancy doesn't really matter all that much. We need to stand under its authority. And Mary was one who was submitted to God's will. Uh, look at, at Luke chapter 1 again. Uh, in verse 29, it tells us that the news from the angel greatly troubled her. Uh, in verse 34, it tells us that that news from the angel perplexed her. How will this be, she said, since I am a virgin? And when we think about it, we realize that the news from the angel probably scared her when she thought about the consequences she could be facing. Imagine the embarrassment. Imagine the suspicion. Imagine the misunderstanding that would follow her around. She could even be stoned to death. I remember a girl in my high school class 50 years ago who got pregnant. Heads turned when she walked by. People whispered. They made crass remarks. And tough as it was for her, and I know it was, this girl wasn't known for her purity. Mary was. Mary had a lot to lose with this pregnancy. But look at her response in verse 38 of Luke chapter 1. I am the Lord's servant, she said. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'm willing to take that on, she said. I, I'm willing to submit to this part of God's will for me. She didn't look to exercise her own will. She submitted to God's will. Do you think we're going to see Mary's influence in the lives of her children? We will. We will. They submitted themselves to God's will also. Look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew the anguish that lay ahead of him. He knew the humiliation that he would experience. He knew the physical pain. He knew the, the spiritual agony 
that he would soon experience in terms of being separated from the Father for the first time ever. He knew the tremendous weight of the sins of the world that would soon be placed on his shoulders, such that it would cause him to sweat great drops of blood there in the garden. But he said in Luke 22, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I'll submit to your will, Father. Jude knew what it was to submit to God's will. In uh, verse 3 of his little book, he tells his readers that he really wanted to write about the salvation that we share, but he felt he had to write and urge them to contend for the faith. So he didn't write what he wanted to. He wrote what God wanted him to write, submitted to God's will. And James, in chapter 4 of his book, tells us in verses 13 to 17, whatever is not submitted to the will of God is arrogance and sin. And instead of saying, I'm going to do this and this and this, he says, you ought to be saying, if God wills, I'll do these things. We need to submit ourselves to the will of God. So Mary and her children teach us the importance of submitting to God's will. How do we know what God's will is? I hear that a lot from young people. I hear them say, how, how do I know the will of God for my life? And uh, what I like to tell them is, well, I've got good news for you. 95% of God's will for your life is recorded right here in the pages of Scripture. And the other 5% has to do with where you are going to be located while you're doing the 95% that he's already revealed. Sometimes that 5% looks really huge. We come to these crossroad moments in our lives, and, and that 5% is, is enormous. I can think of some of those crossroads in my own life. When I was finishing high school, what college do I attend? When I was finishing college, what branch of the army do I choose? When I was leaving the army, what seminary do I go to? When I was leaving seminary, what church do I go to? And on and on, those crossroad moments get really big at times. But we need to keep perspective that 95% of God's will for us is recorded right here. And those crossroads moments reflect the 5% that have to do with where we're going to be located while we're doing the 95% that he's already revealed. And the rest of the story is this. If God is not satisfied with where you are physically located, he can cause a great big fish to swallow you and put you exactly where he wants you. It's wonderful. So get busy doing the will of God. Devotion to God's word, submission to God's will. From Mary, we also learn to trust in God's way. Mary could submit to God's will because she had come to trust in God's way. And from her song, we see how she trusted in God's way. The theme of this song is how God intervenes to lift up the humble and bring down the proud. That's God's way. If we will humble ourselves before him, he will lift us up in his time. Verse 48 of Mary's song It tells us, the mighty one has done great things for me. Oh, that's 49, sorry. Uh, 48, he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. He's been mindful. He has, has lifted up this one who was humble. 
In verses 51 to 53, she talks about how God topples the proud and yet elevates the humble. In verses 54 and 55, she says, God extends his mercy toward his servant Israel. So Mary trusted in God's way, and her life matched her words. She didn't look for a position of greatness. She just looked for a place to serve her Lord. And Mary's children show us, again, the influence of this godly woman on their lives. They trust in God's way themselves. Consider what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 about how Jesus did that. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was willing to humble himself and trust that the Father would lift him up, and he did. Or Jude, writing in the midst of tough times, urged his readers in verse 21 of his little book, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait for it. It's coming. It's coming. And James, in chapter 4 of his book, says... You need to prefer God's way over the world's way. He says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he'll lift you up. God's way stands in contrast to the world's way. When you think about how the world defines greatness and talks about how to get to it, it's the opposite of God's way. The world's way says, you want to be great? you got to climb that ladder. You step on some toes along the way, maybe some fingers that are on that ladder um, you can make yourself look good by making someone else look bad. Uh, do to others before they can do to you. But God's way is the way of servanthood. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And it's one thing to be called a servant. It's another thing to act as one. But the acid test comes when we are treated as one. What will we do then? It hurts when we're treated as a servant, but it is God's way to success. In it, we demonstrate our trust in the one who is sovereign over all. So Mary stands as an example of the influence of a godly mother. We see her influence in the lives of her sons. But she's not only an example to mothers, she is an example to all of us because each one of us has a sphere of influence. We have people around us that we will have influence over, and we can make a tremendous difference to those around us if we will devote ourselves to God's word, and if we'll submit ourselves to God's will, and if we'll entrust ourselves to God's way. So what if we did a little check today in those three areas? You'll find some help 
in our questions for further thought and small group study that are on the back of the sermon notes insert in your program. And I hope that you'll find a way to make use of those as you seek to apply God's word in your own life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the example of this incredible woman who we look up to, uh, who will be called blessed through all generations. And we thank you for the influence that she had on her own children and how she shows us how we can have an influence in the lives of others around us. And so, Father, I pray that we would take in your word on a regular basis, that we would submit ourselves to your will in our lives, and that we will humble ourselves, preferring your way over the world's way, that we can bring glory to you as we trust in you and as you uh, show yourself at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.